Hello again, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Tom and Jimmy from Bob Moses over Zoom video. Both Tom and Jimmy grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and they actually grew up in the same town and went to the same schools, and they talked to us about how they got into music. Totally different paths. Tom started off on guitar. He eventually started a punk band in high school. And then towards the end of high school, he wrote like a four song singer songwriter EP that grabbed attention from the industry in, in Vancouver. He had, was offered like a development deal, but he also decided that really wasn't the path he wanted to take. He ended up going to Berkeley school of music for one year, doing some touring and playing a lot of shows around that area. And then he moved to New York and that's where he ran into Jimmy. Jimmy comes from a very musical household. His dad was a singer songwriter. His mom was in a band growing up. So he had a lot of musical influences and music in his home. He started off on drums and then quickly went into DJing and he got way into electronic music and turntables while he was still living in Vancouver, he started working on a remix of the Sia song Buttons, and it ends up doing really, really well. He gets offered a deal with Ultra Music through Sony. A few years into living in New York City, Jimmy had a rehearsal studio, and Tom had one, and they're in pretty much the same area, I think a couple blocks apart, they said. And they ran into each other at a Lowe's, decided to go to the studio, try to work on a couple songs together, and knew each other from high school, and that's where Bob Moses formed. They talked about putting out the first couple EPs with Bob Moses, doing a ton of touring early on, getting signed to Domino Records and how big of a deal that was, the major success of Tearing Me Up, being nominated for a Juno Award on every one of the records, presenting a Juno Award. They actually gave the award to Shawn Mendes, they said, and they also scored a Grammy. So we talk all about that and all about their brand new record, which was a project that began during quarantine and is called The Silence In Between. You can watch our interview with Bob Moses on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, it would be so rad if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Bob Moses. This is about you two and your journey in music and congratulations on the record as well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, we've met a while back um, in 2017. I worked for a radio station in San Diego. And you guys played uh, our big outdoor festival with like Empire of the Sun and um, a few other bands. Phoenix, I think, was on it as well. Oh, I remember oh, cool. that festival. Was it yeah. X-Fest? X-Fest. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I remember that. That was, yeah, that was, that, that's a great radio station, actually. We get it up in LA sometimes. And, uh, the, and it's like, yeah, it's just a great alternative radio. It's awesome. Hey, yeah. I was on the station for a number of years. I'm originally from San Diego. And that was the first time I heard you guys when uh, we played Tearing Me Up. And I was like, oh, this song is so good. And you guys cut the, but we had to cut the intro. And I'm, and I'm sorry about that. Cause it's like on the record, it's got a long intro. And then we, that's our we, fault. <laughs> that's all right we don't blame yeah. you. the radio station did it. it wasn't me i promise um but awesome well so first off tell me about were you both did you guys grow up together or no we did yeah we both grew up in vancouver canada uh we went to school together but the funny thing is we weren't super close friends back in school um 
we had an art class together and we were both kind of like the music guys, but I was super into trance at that point. And Tom was very into singer songwriter. And those two worlds at that place and time did not really combine. And okay. uh, so we were both the kind of guys that would show up to school, like just haggard from having played nightclubs the night before. <laughs> and there was kind of like that mutual respect of like, oh yeah, you're the other dude doing the, the music thing. But okay. it wasn't until we um, moved to Brooklyn several years later, both separately, that uh, we met and kicked off Bob Moses. Okay, cool, cool. Well, Tom, tell me about where were you like were born? Where, well, let me see. You guys were born and raised in the same town. So were you guys both born there and raised there? Obviously, yeah. Okay, yeah, born born and raised in Vancouver. Um, yeah, we went to this, like Jimmy said, we went to the same school, kind of lived close by to each other. We were friendly, but not not super close. And um, I was in I was in punk bands starting out and then um, sort of that got a bit when my punk band disbanded, we were to get Jimmy and I were in the same art class. Um, the last two years of high school, my punk band like sort of broke up and then I just I had written all the songs and produced the produced all the demos and stuff for that band anyways. So we, um, I was just doing my own thing mm-hmm. and, um, kind of, you know, playing gigs around town. We both, Jimmy and I both had fake IDs and we're doing, you know, like the club thing. Um, and just Jimmy was playing music at like 140 BPM and I was playing music much slower than that. So maybe halftime 140 BPM. So, yes. um, so we were a bit, yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, I don't know why we didn't really connect then, but I guess we were both were kind of just trying to discover music on our own terms. And, and when we both moved to New York, sep- found our way to New York separately, I think at that time in our lives, we were both just kind of ready for a bit more open-minded and a bit more looking for, something to grab onto and um, both a little alone in New York in a big city and two two straight Canadians in New York, Mm -hmm. you know, sure. You do what, what everybody in that situation would do, I think, and have dinner and get it, have a studio session. And we were like, it was like instant chemistry when we worked together in the studio for the first time and Mm -hmm. the rest is history. So they say. When you you said you're in a punk band first, what was the first instrument you got into or learned oh um well i mean my parents tried to make me do piano but i didn't like the structure of it and then i did guitar i got given a guitar when i was eight and i just i immediately tried to write just start writing songs so i was never really interested in um like i couldn't actually really solo on guitars until i was Mm -hmm. like 18 or 19 when i finally forced myself to learn um I was always more interested in like writing songs. So I guess you would say my main instrument has always been my voice because to me, that's kind of like the lead of, of a song, you know, vocal and melody. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was always playing guitar and drums and bass and writing parts for a whole, you know, like arrangement of, of mm-hmm. tunes in my head when Did whatever you, genre it was so were you like in chorus or choir or anything like that or you just had it i was in choir singing i was in choir when i was a kid actually you just reminded me of that <laughs> um and we played like the we we sang and i was in something called the bot choir uh-huh until i hit puberty because then i remember when my voice dropped and i was like very i couldn't i was like what's going on here you know mm-hmm. so 
And we sang, we played at the the Orpheum. There was like a Christmas concert at the Orpheum, which is like a really beautiful concert hall in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I did that once or twice as a kid. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. What about you, Jimmy? How did you get into music? Uh, both of my parents were uh, musicians. And so oh, wow. I was quite a successful songwriter. And my mom was in a French-Canadian progressive rock band. And so I grew up in a very, very musical household. And I think the thing is that my parents never tried to force me to do it. They kind of just like left stuff around. And mm-hmm. my first thing that I gravitated towards was the drums. So like I was a drummer. That's like what I wanted to do up until around the age of like 11 or 12. And then I got into like the first Linkin Park record and Moby play. And those two albums made me go like, how the hell does this, how does some like, cause like, you know, I heard like machines and guitars and I understood the drums and guitars, but I didn't understand the machine part of it. Mm-hmm. And then my dad basically sat me down and was like, well, like there's like this production and like there's people that like make the records in the studio with all this. And I was very fortunate that I grew up with a sort of a studio in my backyard that my dad had. Um, but I got to give them a lot of credit for, they kind of like just stood back and were like, if he wants to go do the things he'll do it, you know, they weren't, mm-hmm. they didn't, he just didn't push it on you at all. They didn't, they didn't push it on me then, you know, which I, they, they, they let me make sort of my own mistakes. But I do remember the first time I was like, I want to go get turntables. And both of my parents were like, no, that's not music, you know? And I was like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a very like victory moment for me. Cause like, I was the kind of kid I was listening to Slipknot. Uh, and I would listen to it and my dad come in and be like, that's awesome. And I'd be like, no, you're not supposed to like this. You sure. Know? And so dance music was the, was the, that was like my own lane, you know? Right. You're like, what yeah. can I figure out to do that? They're not going to be stoked on. Exactly. <laughs> I need turntables. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grow up going to their shows or anything like that? I mean, yeah. So my dad was more of like a, a, a songwriter producer behind the scenes guy. Mm-hmm. And my mom at that point had like, had stopped touring. So I grew up going to like a lot of concerts of either bands that my dad would work with or like bands that he was a fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, or like the funny thing about Vancouver and Tom and I talk about this all the time. It's like a lot of mid tier acts don't really come through there. So you either get acts that are just starting to get popular or Mm -hmm. you get like the arena acts. And so like during our teenage years, we were sort of like starved for, you know, for example, like a band like Tame Impala or something. Mm-hmm. an act like that wouldn't really come to vancouver you know okay um and so it was either like you know we had like the the bon jovis and and like the justin bieber type thing or you had like kanye when it, when he was just getting off the ground or like you know so it was it was kind of frustrating in that regard but i did go to a lot of like you know big concerts as a, as a kid mm-hmm. what was your first one you ever went to do you remember yes alice cooper Really? At That's a- the same venue Tom was just talking about singing choir in. So when he's not doing the block <laughs> choir, they're having Alice Cooper cutting people's heads off. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first show, Tom? Do you remember? Oh, man. I think it was Van Morrison. Really? That's a cool yeah. one, too. So another a, big artist. Was, yeah, all I remember is it was Van Morrison. I went with my mom, and I was like, you know, like eight or nine or i was young mm-hmm. and um i just remember being told how like much of a diva he was and how he was really cranky and like some times he might and like, came on he was famous for coming on late mm-hmm. he came on on time as far as i remember but i just remember <laughs> being like being like kind of scared of him because of that you know in a weird way 
Um, I think my mom was trying to prepare me for like maybe be bailed or something, but it was amazing. Like just the musicianship and like his band and all that stuff. I just remember being like, Whoa. Do you remember the moment that you wanted, like you realized like, I want to do this. I want to pursue being in a band. I, I don't remember a moment not feeling that way. Oh, interesting. So like, I think my mom used to tell a story where I would like be, I would like, go to the bathroom and just be st- she, she'd like wonder where I was and I'd been in there for an hour singing because of the acoustics and then I would like come out and announce that I was going to be a musician <laughs> that's awesome and as a backup plan I was going to be an actor or something like that but that well you ended up going to Berkeley class. right Berkeley for I did I did college. I went to I went to Berkeley for a year mm-hmm. and um, I was sort of I was sort of um, anti-music school in a weird way. I think my experience with all sort of musical lessons up until that point had been very, that it was very stuffy and um, that I wasn't like, I knew I was like a good songwriter and I I could do something, but I kind of thought like I wasn't a good enough musician or like a, re- like I, I kind of felt like there was this divide between what my idea of, people who went to music school or who were good enough to go to music school, mainly around being able to read music and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my mom pushed me to go to audition. I was kind of, I had like a development deal um, in, in Vancouver after high school. Wow. Um, and I kind of, with this little record label and I was kind of like, they wanted me to be uh, in the grade, in grade 12 of high school. I've kind of put out this grade 11 or 12. I can't remember. I put out this like little EP of just four songs I had written. That was very like singer songwritery. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, a big total 180 from everything I had done before. I had always done like really fast, hard punk stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I put this sort of sweet singer songwriter, four songs that I'd written out that, um, that like I actually got a bit of buzz in Vancouver and I was like selling lots of copies out of my trunk of my car and stuff like that. I kind of had like a little high school buzz going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had a fake ID and I was playing in, I had these older guys into my band and I was playing clubs a few nights a week and stuff. And so I had a little development deal, but they wanted to, they wanted me to do the singer songwriter thing. And I really wanted to like push the studio part of it and make it, I wanted it to be good songs, but I wanted it to sound really cool and be, out there and like be more um, interesting sonically Mm -hmm. and the producer I was working at with really wanted to keep me more like you're going to be a singer songwriter dude and I was like no so that so that was a sort of that was a good learning experience but a sort of hard it didn't really lead anywhere you know Mm -hmm. and then my mom I was a bit lost and uh, I come from like a family of academics so everybody wanted me to go to school and so my mom suggested that I audition for Berkeley because like she knew I wasn't into music school per se, but she thought that like this cool school sounded pretty cool. So I begrudgingly went to Seattle to the Jimi Hendrix Museum and did a, a, an audition there. And all I did was just like play a song I'd written. And I was so, I remember being so nervous and I remember playing the song and I finished the song and the, the guy said, wow, you're going to make a lot of money off that song one day. Wow. And I was like, oh, thanks. 
which I, I haven't made any money off that song. <laughs> never, never released it on there, I think. But um, just point being like, you know, he was like, I was like, oh, like somebody from a music school thinks that I'm like good, you know, which is cool. Anyways, I got a partial scholarship and I went for a year and um, I learned a ton and totally, totally, you know, got rid of that silly immature idea about what music school was because mm-hmm. it's great there. Berkeley's awesome. Um, and I just, I just, I was playing gigs. I did the same thing. I knew I like hustled. I got a band of older musicians who were kind of almost done their time there who were all really good and started playing gigs around the Northeast, borrowed my girlfriend's car and would drive on the weekend and play like, you know, whatever cities I can get myself booked in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I just knew that like, I could, I knew I could stay on at Berkeley and have a great time and finish my degree and stuff like that. But I sort of thought like, well, for what I want to do, there's no real point in having a degree in music. And I just need to like, go do it. You know, I just need mm-hmm. to go like hustle. And so I, I left after a year to move to New York. And then that's where you met back up with, with Jimmy. Yep. Oh, and, and Jimmy real quick on, on Tom's EP. Do you remember, do you have that record or do you remember it, him putting it out? If you went to the same school, I even have a Tom Howie t-shirt in my, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no. So he was like a, it was cool because I remember I didn't know Tom. I mean, I knew Tom was in a punk band, but like, you know, we were all young doing. So I was in a metal band at one point. It was like, we played like music nights. But then I remember one assembly, we would do these, like this thing at our school called arts week and every assembly they'd bring in like, you know, performers or whatever. And one assembly, it's like kids from the school and, <laughs> Tom did a song, just him and an acoustic guitar. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this guy's really good, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, then it was like over the next sort of year and a half, he was, you know, all over the place around Vancouver playing songs. Like, it was like a, he assembled like a little band and they, and they played everywhere and it was all the songs he'd written. And he had this EP called the Stepping Stones EP. And I remember like, I bought a copy or got a copy somehow. And it was like a big buzz in like the little- So bad. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it was really like for, at the time, I remember it was like, you know, really, it was like, wow, this guy's actually doing it, you know, it felt really legitimate. And like, there was a little buzz around. I mean, I was in a band and we were all like, oh man, Tom Howie's like, that guy's actually really good, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, not, Yeah, not too bad for like a high school kid, I guess. <laughs> and you ended up getting to New York first, right, Jimmy? You moved from, from Vancouver to then to New York? Yeah, I, I, uh, my girlfriend and I at the time, she uh, got accepted to um, Parsons School of, of Fashion. So she went to New York and I sort of followed her. And at the same time, coincidentally, Sia had put out an album called um, Some People Have Real Problems, I think is what it is. And there was a single off there called Buttons. And mm-hmm. I got the opportunity to remix it. And Ultra Records picked it up and it ended up doing really well. And so Ultra Records, at the same time that I was thinking about moving to New York, like offered me a recording contract. And I was like, oh, this, this is like all working in my, in like, everything seems to be going well. And um, I just remember going to their office and talking to them and just realizing how I didn't, re- I wasn't really sure. I didn't feel like that remix or what that was about was really what I wanted to do. And I was like, I told them the ideas for like, what, like, I want to like, you know, maybe start my own label or do something or like, you know, 
branch out more and they felt and it basically felt like no just like make this remix a hundred times and like we're gonna pair you with people to make more stuff that sounds like that mm-hmm. and i remember being really nervous being like i don't think i'm gonna do this but i'm like 18 i'm moving to a new city and i don't really have any other prospects and i was just like i hope something else works out um and it did but yeah i think like new york at that point was just sort of calling to me and it was you know funny enough like running into tom and then all of a sudden getting involved in this whole sort of deep house wave two years later that ended up happening in New York. I'm so happy I said no to that initial deal. Yeah. So you had that, that remix done when you were still in, in Canada before you had even moved to New York? Yeah, it was like, I think I finished it on a laptop in New York, but had 90% of it done in Canada right before I moved. Wow. Okay. And then when do you guys end up meeting up and you run into Tom and you're like, oh, obviously knew he did music because he had his, his EP, you know, in high school. And like, how did, how did you guys run into each other? So I moved to New York in 2008 and then uh-huh. Tom and I ran into each other. I want to say it was the fall of 2010. So we ran into mm-hmm. each other uh, in a parking lot at the Lowe's down the street from where we both had rehearsal spaces. So we had rehearsal spaces like a block or two away from each other. And we didn't oh, know wow. in Red Hook and um, actually Gowanus. Uh, and uh, the, uh, so we met up, went out for dinner. And then I think like a week later, got together in the little studio spot that I had. And Tom was thinking about going back to Canada. He was like, you know, he just got out of Berkeley and was sort of like in the same place that I was. We're kind of stuck, was making music, but, you know, wanted a project that they could, you could really sink your teeth into creatively. And um, we, after that first session, we both like, whatever plans we had, we changed. We were like, we're going to just do this. We're going to like become a band and do this. Okay. And that's, and from there on, you just started working together. Pretty yeah. Much. Well, I, I went, I went back to Canada. I had basically run out of money and, um, and I went back to Canada. My plan was to go back to Canada and regroup. And so I did, we, we met like, I think we had like a studio session on a Tuesday and then by like that first studio session, then by like Friday, I remember us being like, Oh, we have to change all our plans. And then like very shortly thereafter, like maybe the next week we were both going away. Like I think Jimmy, Jimmy went to Berlin with his girlfriend for a little while. And I went back to Canada for like three months to kind of like save up money. And it was, it was the end of the year. So it was, it was coming up to Christmas time and um, holidays and all that stuff. And so I went home and worked all sort of jobs I could to um, save up some money and then moved back to New York and Jimmy and I moved into an apartment together. And then, um, and that was in February of 2011. And then we just kind of like, we were like, I don't know really, we don't really know what we're going to do, but we're just going to start working on music and figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and then once you moved, you ended up moving back down to New York and yep. continuing with the project. And then, yeah, that's how, when it really began. Okay. That's when it really began. And well, tell me about obviously the success of tearing me up, but was that like the first real big moment for you guys? I mean, you had signed to a, a label before that though, right? We had a series of big moments in the scene we were in before that. So uh-huh. by the time we got to tearing me up, we were already touring like pretty extensively. Like, oh, okay. So we started in 2011. It took us about a year to sort of stumble into the what ended up being what we'd call like the Bob Moses sound, like this deep house dance music, rock and roll hybrid sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, 
basically like we had put out, we were on this little independent label called Scissor and Thread in, in Brooklyn, which was like a dance, underground dance label. And we had put out this EP called The Hands, Hands to Hold, which was the first thing like we've ever released as Bob Moses. Mm-hmm. And so that got a buzz in the underground dance community. We started playing in like San Francisco and Mexico. And, you know, we went around the country, started going over to Europe. Um, and then in 2013, we put out um, the Far From The Tree EP, which had a song called All I Want, which did really well for us. Mm-hmm. And we played Burning Man. Oh, and wow. We released a set from Burning Man, which was basically an hour of our own music from the Hands To Hold and Far From Tree EP. That EP came out in the fall. The Burning Man set came out, got released the same time. And from October 2013, we were like all of a sudden packed with dates. Like every weekend we were touring. And obviously, uh, Tearing Me Up didn't come out till 2015. Mm-hmm. But that in that time, like we were like, touring quite extensively as like a club act off those two EPs. Wow. And that, yeah, so like, time yeah basically as DJs like, almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I remember we played a, uh, like, you know, we were doing these underground events in New York. So there was like a dim sum hall that we rented out and through our own Bob Moses event. And like, we, I think we sold like 650 tickets or something like that. So wow. by, the time, by the time we were Domino signed us, we were already this like a sort of somewhat established club act. And like, mm-hmm. I remember like Tom and I would like, you know, read musical books about like, you know, the Ramones or any bands and like our, our theory was like, Oh, if you just build your own thing yourself, then you like, you know, just kind of sell records out of the trunk of your car type of mentality. Like that will make you more appealing. Like not only will you have your own scene or your own, like you'll understand the world that you operate in, but like a label will, you can just tap into a label and they'll just expose you to like, everyone else around the world that maybe might like that scene, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, and would you say that's kind of what happened as far as like getting to the next level, as far as the radio went and all, and all that came with tearing me up? Yeah. I think like, I mean, we were already, there's this really beautiful and really cool underground music i guess it's like it's really grown now but like when we were coming up there was like felt like there was this underground dance scene that like lots of acts that we were friends with or like looked up to could just you could just tour in that and it was it was based around like very independent labels it was all about like soundcloud and spotify wasn't really a thing yet and through the internet you could just like tour. you know you could do 150 dates a year touring around the world between mainly between south america north america and europe and like, it was kind of like based off, it was like the post EDM wave of like the next thing that was coming up in America. But, and there was always a really healthy scene for it in Europe, you know, around Ibiza and like the summer season and stuff. Um, and so that's kind of like that we were in that sort of wave that was coming out of the Brooklyn warehouse scene that we started in the Jimmy Mansion. And mm-hmm. I think the thing for us was we, we were always, we really wanted to push the musical aspect of it and we wanted to like find a way to make it um, more as musical as possible and more song based. Um, mm-hmm. And our earlier records are quite a bit more clubby, you know, like especially those EPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of hear us like with all the, with that, with that song, all I want, we're kind of starting to sneak a song in there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so then, uh, 
Yeah. So like Jimmy said, we were playing, we had quite a buzz going in New York, but we were also like, you know, making a living touring, doing two or three shows a weekend. Um, crazy. And um, Domino, we met with Susan Bush, who was then at Domino, who was our A&R there. And we just kind of talked to her and um, told her what our vision was, you know, if we want to be like an act that we very much viewed this sort of dusty deep house brooding thing as like our, as our sound that our songs would live in, you know? And so we very much viewed ourselves. We, we view acts as sort of like, like even a rock band or like a, any other kind of group. We just kind of view it as like a song in this clothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we, um, Domino's reached out to us through Susan and we met with Susan and she was like, yeah, I think you, we, you know, after that first meeting, she was like, I feel like we're on the same page. And so they offered us a deal and we loved the idea of Domino because they were um, an indie label and they, they really had the ethos of like, just let the artists do what they want, but they also had like the resources to, to get you going. If you had something that was, that you just spent some money on, you know? So um we made, we signed a deal with them sort of while we were touring in 2014. And then we just started working on our next batch of music when we could, you know, and mm-hmm. tearing me up came out of those, out of that writing. Um, and we were still touring quite a lot when we made that record. So um, I remember we handed it in and uh, we, we basically, you know, we did some dates, we came back, we finished it. We sort of handed it in to get mixed. And then we went on a European tour, you know, so it was kind of, it was kind of like, go, go, go all the time. Yeah. And, um, and then, then it, when it came out, um, it was sort of a slow build, you know, like we, we, we thought tearing me up was really special from the beginning, but the label was like, ah, I don't know, like, it's fine, but like, well, let's try this single first or that single first. And so we kind of played the game with them, like play mm-hmm. ball. Cause we, you know, what do we know? We're too punk kids from Vancouver don't know what we're doing. And sure. I remember we were in a coffee shop in Berlin. We were in a coffee ship shop in Berlin, like talking about single stuff. Cause we had, we had, we were, we had moved over there to kind of base out of there while we were touring Europe in the summer. And, um, and tearing me up came out and like, it was, you know, we would play it live before it was out and it would kind of like people would kind of shuffle and we'd be like, Ooh, I don't know, maybe this isn't going to work. And then, it started gaining speed and it had lived a bit longer. And then it started being like the one that we really noticed when we played live that like the whole crowd kind of lit up Mm -hmm. and it just sort of was a long ride. And we would go and we would do these radio things with the label and they'd be like, Oh, it's a great, everybody's really enthusiastic. And we were kind of like, okay, you know, we're just positive and trying to do everything we could. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time. It took like a a eight months or a year as the radio sometimes does for that song to really build into what it became, you know? Yeah. But, the radio is always a little bit late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to front sell a song. You're like, this is new music from Bob Moses. That was, if you were actually knew who they were before it's record came out a year ago or whatever, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. <laughs> Which is always interesting to me. Uh, well, I mean, for you, Jimmy, like signing that deal and, and, and getting signed to a, a label that must've been huge, especially coming from a family of, of musicians. Was that kind of a, a big score with your family? 
I mean, a hundred percent. I think it was like, it was interesting because at the time, uh, you know, this was still pre-streaming and everything. So like nobody knew what the rules were for the music business. And I remember talking to my parents and, you know, when we were leaving high school, like 2007, 2008, like the, the, the financial collapse had just happened. Downloading and torrenting was rampant. Right. My dad was like the music business, like for lack of a better phrase, is almost a lost cause. Like the good old days are over of the CD and this. And so he was like, if you're going to do it, you got to do it just because you love it, basically. Right. Which is the same reason why he got into it, why everyone gets into it is because regardless of whether or not you sell 10 million CDs or get a billion streams, like it's still really hard work. Mm -hmm. You got to do it because you love it. And so he just knew that if, you know, Tom and I loved it, we'd find our own way. And so at the time, you know, going with Domino was, it just felt like it was a huge stamp of approval for like, you know, our little underground dance act all of a sudden be on this label, like has the Arctic monkeys and, and Mm -hmm. John Hopkins and, and all this stuff. And, um, I remember like we had a really funny moment, actually. We were helping our friend record a record in uh, Benton Harbor, Michigan. Um, There's a great guy by the name of Bill Skibby that runs a studio out of there. And he was producing uh, the Kills record at the time. Wow. Jamie Hintz from the Kills was in that studio complex with us. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he was like one of the still to this day, one of like the coolest. And I don't mean cool from like like nice or whatever just like the way that he looks the way that he walks he's like a living gorilla's character like you know he's like a real deal rock star and um and he was telling us like how like he used to sneak over into like the east side of berlin like to do punk shows and we're like man this guy's badass you know and he was saying that they were on domino and how much they loved being on domino and I remember Tom and I thinking like, man, like usually guys like this hate their labels. Like they're always like, oh, our labels take all our money. And like, right. he, he was talking about how awesome they were. And I remember Tom and I thinking like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if one day we could be on a label like Domino? And then well, sure enough, it, it sort of happened. So wow. it, was a, it was definitely, to answer your question, yeah, it was a big freak out and, and sort of like definitely an establishing moment for us. That is amazing. Well, to move forward a little bit quickly here, so we can, I, I want to talk to you about your new record, but you, you score with real quick on Terry. Yeah, you get a you get a Grammy, which is insanity for that out for that record, and then you get a Juno nomination for. But if you know, Battle Lines came out in twenty eighteen, and then you get a Juno nomination for Desire, right? Uh yes, that's I think so. Yes, both. Yeah. I think yeah, that was and Battle Lines, right? Oh, and oh, for both. Okay, was that? Tell me about that though. I mean, being from Canada and having that sort of i mean the grammys of 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 you know canada like that's huge yeah we went too well we did we get nominated on tearing me up too on days yeah, we, we've been i think all of our albums apart from the eps we've been nominated for oh wow <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think we i think we like to call ourselves like four or five times juno, juno oh that's a good right my yeah. my research sucks i'm sorry we're like we're like three, <laughs> we're like three time juno award losers but still um, like wow no, I mean, yeah, I mean, remember we, we, it was super cool. I mean, we got nominated for the Grammys and then we got nominated for the Junos on the first album and it felt like pretty legitimizing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we went, it was in Ottawa, right? Yeah, it was in Ottawa. Yeah. And we went and we sat at the table and we didn't win that year, but it was just super cool to be there and um, see all the, 
all the people, you know, and like a dream, um, I would think. I mean, you probably guys probably watched it growing up as kids, like on TV or anything. Yeah, totally. And we even announced, we even like announced it one year, right? Was that yeah, the we, next we, year? We present, no, I we pre- presented it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The next year we went back and presented an award to Sean Mendez. Um, wow. <laughs> like in an arena. On stage in the arena. And it's pretty, I mean, this is a very Canadian thing, but like we were backstage with, um, this band called Billy Talent, another guy. Named oh Sam yeah, Robert, I know Billy Talent. And uh, Josh Ramsey, who wrote um, "Call Me Maybe" for Carly Rae Jepsen. He's from Vancouver, and so oh was, like, really, we just had this like big like Canadian music. Like the, I mean, you know, Billy Talent and uh, Sam Roberts are bands that Tom and I would like. We owned their records in high school and loved them. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, they're just they were super cool. And like, it was it was it was just kind of awesome in a very like. To be from Canada and be around acts that you know are just massive in Canada was just very, it was just a cool thing to be a part of. That's so rad. That's, and I'm sure that's probably something too, like your uh, extended family is like, oh, like, you know, my nephew or whatever is on, is it going to be at the Juno Awards or presented for, like, that's so huge. Totally. I mean, Canada is a weird one because like being from Vancouver, it's weird because Vancouver, you kind of almost feel like you're, very isolated from the rest of Canada, which I guess you are in some sense. Canada is so geographically huge, (laughs) but it's so everybody just lives along the border. Right. And so like to, to get from like, I remember when I went to Berkeley, I was like, Oh sweet. I'm going to be able to go drive four hours in any direction and hit way more people potentially than I could driving across all of Canada and back. Right. Right. And so, so anyways, to be, I mean, Jimmy had a bit more, Jimmy had family from the East coast. So he went back there a lot more, but when I would go to the East coast of Canada as a kid, and I, the most I've ever been to the East coast is since we started touring there and, and stuff and going to the Junos, I sort of felt a bit more, even like I was in a, another country. Like I, it wasn't that much different to me from like going to Toronto or Montreal than it was to like going to Boston or New York, you know? Oh, okay. Um, so it was really cool to be at the Junos because it was it was this weird experience of of all this stuff from your childhood like these you know sitting with these bands who we used to like i used to watch on much music which is the canadian mtv mm-hmm. and be like oh man one day hopefully i can do what for real like they do and then be like in the green room at the junos talking to them and like to also feel like you're a canadian that was the first real time i felt like a sense of like national sort of Canadian pride or Canadian um, fellowship, if you will, because mm-hmm. like being growing up in Vancouver, you kind of, you know, my dad's from Scotland. We went to Europe a bunch, but I didn't really explore that rest of Canada that much. And it kind of almost felt like a foreign country to me, the East coast of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing though. I mean, like to other artists from Canada I've interviewed before have said like, you know, that was, you know, you can get a nominee for a Grammy, which is awesome and huge, obviously, but like there it's like, Oh my God, the Juno is everybody knows and everyone's watching. Oh, yeah. And it's such a, it's such a monumental thing uh, for, for people in Canada at the time. And that's, I just thought that was so cool that I didn't know that you've been nominated that many times. That's incredible. But um, so, so speaking on this, this new record, it just came out today. Um, when, when did you start writing it? Was it during the pandemic or how, when did it yeah. begin? I mean, yeah, we like, we, we finished, we kind of made desire on the road. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of collect little bits and bobs of um, 
beats and musical ideas while just like on a tour bus or in an airport or on an airplane or, you know, and um, we finished, we kind of like came, came back to, we, we built our studio in LA and we kind of finished it up right as the pandemic was happening and we put it out and then we got straight into making our next batch of music. So um, the only thing that we had, that we really like kind of had before, um, before the pandemic started was the beginning ideas of love brand new, which is one of the singles, the first mm -hmm. or yeah, second single off the record. And um, we had written that a year before we had had a studio session in LA with John Martin and Michelle Zitron, who are these two great writers who really specialize in like doing really good um, songs, but like in dance music, you know, mm -hmm. and they, had, they were fans of ours and had asked to re has reached out asking to write. And we had never really done a session before um, with other people. And uh, it just like, it was sort of like that first session with Jimmy and I, it's like, we just got into the room and it was like instant chemistry and all of us just on four cylinders, full steam ahead, you know, coming mm -hmm. up with ideas. And so we got the core of that idea, the melodies and the, uh, some of the lyric of the chorus and sort of like the, the bare bones of like the beat in one day. And then it kind of sat in the vault, so to speak, we were busy touring we were putting out other stuff we were working and we realized it wasn't really right for what we wanted to, the desire EP to be. The desire EP is like a fully mixed sort of hark back to our early days, like club record, you know, mm -hmm. we wanted it to feel like on battle lines, we really went full band and we almost like turned our back on house music a bit too much. We felt like, and so we wanted the desire EP to really be like club focused. And then, and this song that we had sort of started with John and Michelle didn't fit into that. So as soon as we put that, the Desire EP out and we got working in the new batch of songs, Love Brand New was the first thing we kind of opened back up and we, we finished that pretty quickly and um, it sort of set the tone for the rest of the album. Okay. And were you, did you collaborate at all on the rest of the record or was it just back to then the two of you with the, that as a kind of a jumping point? No, we totally did. Like for this record, I think we've written the most amount of music we ever had for an album. And a lot of it was just Tom and I hashing it out. And then if we opened ourselves up to doing sort of like Zoom sessions, just like we are right now. Uh -huh. And we would write songs with people. And we just, we were just all about idea generation. And we didn't care where the ideas came from or how. And, you know, we just wanted to just generate as many ideas as possible. Like we were, you know, sort of trapped in a room. Uh, you know, we were in each other's bubble. So we would only hang out with each other and write songs. And so we thought, you know, sort of now or never is a good chance to like, you know, get it, try and try and see what will happen. And we had such a good time with John and Michelle before the pandemic writing Love Brand New that, um, you know, and I think we were also like at the size of an act where we could really tap into people that like were doing stuff that we really um, were interested in. Like, for example, we, we were very fortunate to work with this guy, Stuart Price, who's like, you know, did confessions on a dance floor for Madonna. He's like was uh he's also an artist called Jacques Lucan or Thin White Duke and he's done like the Killers big records he's like super talented producer and like nothing actually musically came from it that we en that ended up on the record but like just the wisdom that we got from him as a person and sort of where we were where we were at in our careers and the questions that we had for him like he ended up being sort of like a having this like mentor role for the time that we were working with him you know and really mm -hmm. helped sort of like guide our ship because we were you know, coming from the underground and going to, we, you know, we, Tom and I have a tendency to like, we love writing pop songs as well. 
And so for him, he was like an underground DJ that ended up producing one of the most successful Madonna records. And we were like, what was that like, you know? And so all of the, we've learned that like from collaborating, you always get something out of it. Even if something doesn't make the record, you either learn a new production trick or learn writing from someone else's perspective, like, you know, tricks about writing lyrics or like, and it's so valuable, you know? So I think it just took us up to a while where we felt confident together in our abilities to write that mm -hmm. it, it didn't feel like something that like, oh man, like we're let's just phone it in and have someone else write our songs. Like it's not like that at all, you know? Sure. Um, but it, it, it was an amazing thing to open ourselves up to during the pandemic. That's awesome. It's a great record. Um, Silence in between. It's amazing. And I appreciate both of you, you guys for being here today. Thank you. Uh, my last real quick question uh, for both, both of you is if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oof, yeah, I do. And we always used to say, we, we always used to ask ourselves, we always used to say like, what's the answer? How do you, what's the trick? You know, I think um, we were on a, we did a gig and we were on a beach in St. Bart's in the Caribbean with uh, David Bryan from Bon Jovi one time. And, and he said to us, it takes a lot of hard work to get lucky. And I think what he meant is like, you have to work really, 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 really hard. That's a prerequisite. And the more, the more, the more you work hard, the more chance there is of when luck comes along and the fates align of being able to um, capitalize on that good luck. And I think that that's all you can really focus on. I think like if I was kind of telling myself when I, when we were like in our early twenties starting out, I would say like, it's really all about making good records and putting on good shows. And the rest doesn't really matter as much as everybody says it does. If you can do those two things well, and you can also find a way to do it that's slightly unique, a slight little just twist that's your own, that's all you really need. Um, and the only other piece of advice I would give is for people trying to do, if you're trying to be an artist, like if you're trying to do, you know, this is my band or this is my project and we're taking it and this is, you know, our thing. It's really helps to find a scene that's already kind of happening to be that you feel connected to, to be a part of like, that was the thing that really helped us. Like if it wasn't for the New York sort of warehouse rave scene in like 2012, 2011, that was really bubbling up. Um, I don't think that Bob Moses would be what it is at all. And I think that, um, you know, who knows, Jimmy and I may have had success with some other sort of thing or maybe separately or whatever, you never know. Right. But I think that for us, a really cool thing was being part of a scene that we could like, not just be this lone wolf out there trying to sell tickets to our show at the local music venue. You know, it was like, there was a thing that people were going to and there was a community and we were, we, we thought it was super cool and we were part of that community. And so I think as an artist, it's tempting to kind of sometimes be like the center of your own universe and kind of feel like, Oh, what I'm doing is what am I doing? How am I going to make it? It's a sort of very self-centered thing in a lot of ways. But I think that if you can balance that by going out and getting involved in your community, that will, that was what really helped us. So. Amazing. Thank you so much. Jimmy, you have anything? I, I, I agree with all that. And I would say <laughs> the only thing is, is that because I remember being, we were both very stressed out when we were young, like wanting to make it. I would say 
enjoy the ride. It's music. It's supposed to be fun. It's a lot of hard work, but it's supposed to be fun, you know? So if you're stressed about what the future may hold or any of this, just, you know, hopefully the hard work pays off, but enjoy the ride. <laughs>